0: hello everybody this is father rob adams and welcome to the catholic link podcast the podcast for busy and otherwise normal catholics um i once again i'm here by myself it's a couple reasons number one once again is because i just want to try something different and i like sort of just talking so you know we'll have our guests on they're welcome and i love them so they're not fired or anything so don't don't worry but uh, the other reason that I'm doing this by myself right now is because our internet here has been having a lot of problems, so it's hard to get guests to stay stable in a Zoom call. So right now, it's just me, but for those who are watching on YouTube, I am recording this so that you can watch me. I've got a green screen behind me. Hopefully, our cool editors over at Catholic Link can make something like cool behind me. Otherwise, it's a green screen, so here I am, uh, and I'm wearing a hat once again because I like I've always wanted to be a hat guy, but I'm not a hat guy, you know, like you kind of have to be a hat guy. So I just thought the best way to do it is to fake it till you make it. So I've got that. Also, I do need a haircut and I don't have one yet. So we have a hat, right? So anyway, um, today I wanted to talk a little bit about our feast day, which is the feast of St. Philip and James. Now, James is important on his own, so I don't, you know whatever, I don't have a lot to say. James is, is super important. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I, I'd love to know, is the James of Philip and James, the same James that's supposed to have written the proto gospel of James. Uh, it's a weird, weird book that didn't make it into the new Testament, but some parts of it made it into the church calendar, right? So like, the belief that Mary was presented in the temple, like, or the, the feast day of the presentation of Mary in the temple, comes from the, proto-evangel- the proto-evangelion, the proto-gospel of James. Um, the name of Mary's parents, Saints Joachim and Anne, uh, their names actually come from, um, from this book, the proto-evangelion of James. You should definitely go read it, it is a pious book for sure. Uh, the only thing I would say is that there's a little bit of weirdness around Jesus's childhood. That's one of the common things around the, the the books that don't make it into the the New Testament. They get a little bit almost fantastical in the way that they talk about Jesus's childhood. Like, um, there's one story. I don't know if it's in the Proto Evangelion or not, but there's a story of Jesus as a little boy, like playing with clay with his buddies. Like they're like playing in the mud, and his his buddies are like making like. Mud animals. I don't know what kind of animals they'd make, but they're making like little mud animals. And Jesus, being the little godchild, comes up with this great idea, and he decides to make like little mud bird. So he's like, like crafting his little mud bird, and then he's like he breathes on the bird, and all of a sudden it becomes a real bird and flies away. And Jesus's friends hate them or hate him for it. So you know that's a good one. Uh, there's another story. I don't know. Once again, if this is in the proto-evangelion of James, there's a story of uh, baby Jesus playing with his friends like. On the roof, for some reason, and one of his friends makes fun of him. So Jesus calls down lightning and smites the boy and kills him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little cringy, right? Uh, and that's something that the fathers talk about a lot. like these these books that don't make it into the New Testament. they have what they call blasphemous stories of the baby Jesus. I don't know that they're quite blasphemy, but they're they're a little much. Interestingly enough, the Quran does have a lot of these stories in it because the Prophet Muhammad didn't have a great experience of Christianity. So he he actually met um, what we would consider heretical Christians, and these were the books they read. So they made it into the Quran as if they were Christianity, but but they're not. So anyway, fun fact. But today I don't want to talk about James at all. So that's all completely wasted, I guess. Today I want to talk about the other guy, which is Saint Philip. And Philip is known for this little bit in John chapter 14 at the Last Supper when he says, Lord, show us the Father. Lord, show us the Father. Now I have, on the one hand, a theological gripe that I want to share with you. But on the other hand, I have a spiritual lesson that I would like to take from that gripe. So hopefully I can both gripe and complain and teach, but also kind of encourage, inspire, and like make you a better Catholic. So that's my goal. We'll see if I'm able to pull that off or not. Who knows? I don't. Let's begin with the gripe. Lord, show us the father. Now I have a funny story. And that's that while I was in seminary as a priest, right? So I went back after I was ordained a priest to finish what's called a license or an advanced degree in theology. And one of the priests across the hallway didn't like me because I enjoy fantasy games. I enjoy fantasy role-playing and all that. And he was saying, oh, it's the devil and it's evil. And I said, no, it's not. And I I explained to him why. He decided that his way of getting back at me was that he would have a statue that I thought was actually blasphemous and evil. And that was, he had a statue of God the Father. And that may not sound like a big deal because we've kind of gotten used to these images of God the Father. But I would go so far as to say these images of God the Father are sinful, if not blasphemous. Um, And that includes the Sistine Chapel. I know I'm I'm walking way out here, right? But there's a reason why. Um, This is one of the few teachings of an ecumenical council that, as Roman Catholics, we've been really bad about following. And that's the teaching of Nicaea II, so Second Council of Nicaea. We know the First Council of Nicaea that defines the Son as uh, consubstantial with the Father, but do we know that there is a Second Nicaea? Second Nicaea is much, much later, like two or it's like 300 years later. But second Nicaea deals with the question of images and it comes out and says, yeah, we can have images, images of Jesus, images of Mary and the saints, uh, the Holy spirit, even as a dove. And the reason being because God made himself man. So God entered into our world. So we can absolutely represent him in this world right we can have images on our vestments on our on our altars on our on our statues icons uh, all that stuff all that stuff is good and it's good because god became man right god gave us the tools to make this image of himself or rather he showed his image to us as a human being right the holy spirit came down as in the form of a dove no one thinks the holy spirit is a dove we're just copying the way that he showed up in the bible ok, what does the Council not say? Well, the Council says it is still wrong to depict God the Father. It is not allowed to depict God the Father as an image that that still falls under the biblical prohibition of making an image of God from the Old Testament. Now, why is that? Why are we not allowed to make these images of God the Father? I'm coming after you, Michelangelo, right? Going after you, going after, all of these these Renaissance altars that have images of the Trinity, right? Why is that so bad? Well, the reason it's so bad is actually really, really theological and has to do with God himself, right? God himself, God the Father, is not visible. God does not have a form. God does not have a way that we can represent him, right? Right? That's that's what the father is. He's totally beyond our comprehension, which is why going back to today's feast day, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. How do we see the Father? Well, Jesus's response in the gospel is the answer. He says, Have you been with me so long? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So the reason this is really, really important for us as Christians is that if we can get to God, if we can get to the Father, through a metaphor, right? Through an image of an old man, through a, a kind of the father as a as an analogy. Like God is like a father to us. He's like an old man. He, he cares about us. Well, the unintended consequence of that is we no longer need the incarnation, right? The church believes the incarnation is not just good, but it's actually necessary. It's the only way that we can know God in Himself. We can know about God through our reason, that he exists, that he's one, that he's eternal, that he's all-powerful, a lot of things. We cannot know that God is Father, that God is love without the incarnation. And so if we can get to that idea through a metaphor, by depicting God as an old man, as a fatherly figure, we're actually undermining the entire idea of the incarnation. The only way, the only way to see the Father is to see him through Jesus. So I think these images are bad. I think they're sinful and they don't need to be a part of our tradition. They're not good. They're not, they're not our tradition. That's, that's actually the problem. They're not our tradition. I remember something, a cool, a cool uh, interaction I had in it was it with an Orthodox priest. And I was sort of having this conversation with him, like, you know, I really I find this to be a problem. I wish more people saw it that way. And he goes, Yes, absolutely. So he pulled me over to to the side of the uh to the side of the nave and he showed me this icon. I said, Oh, father, what's what's the icon called? And he goes, Oh, it's called The Ancient of Days. And all it was was a picture of Jesus looking really old and he has a little scroll in his hand that says he who has seen me has seen the father. He's like, yeah, that's our icon of the father. It's just Jesus. i was like, Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. It's so awesome. That's what it's all about, right? It's all about that. I know this sounds harsh. I don't mean it that way, but it is, it's, it's really, this is crucial to who Jesus is and why he has to come. He who has seen me has seen the father. The father is not something that we can get to just by a mind game by, you know, Closing our eyes and thinking of what, what it's like to be a no, God, God is a father in such a way that's so immediately beyond everything we know. Um, and, and it's not that God is like a father, God is father is who he is, in the same way that God is son, God is the spirit, God is love and community. And that's that's like that's tricky, it's really hard to, to get your head around. But once again, the reason for the prohibition of that image is because we need the incarnation. We need Jesus to show us the Father. So if you see an image of God the Father in your church, please ask to have it taken down because it's it's not good. I'm not a Protestant. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not saying images are bad. I'm all about images, 100%. Just the ones that we're supposed to have and not the ones that we're not supposed to have. Okay. Second thing I want to talk about today, hopefully a little bit more upbeat, is the interesting idea that Philip is expressing, Lord, show us the father. Why do people follow Jesus, right? I just went on this whole rant about the only way to see the fathers through Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Why do these guys give up their life to follow Jesus? Do they do it like this kind of thing we've heard a lot where it's like, oh, they followed Jesus because they thought he was going to be the great Messiah and, you know, the king and they were going to be kings with him. Well, kind of, kind of. But if that's all they thought, like they lost, that's, that's not it. Ultimately, at some point, they had to have a deeper motive to follow Jesus. And today on this feast of St. Philip, we get to see a little bit of that deeper motive. The reason these guys follow Jesus all the way through the end, right? They lost their lives for him is because they knew that Jesus was the one who showed them the father. This whole Christian life is worth it, because we gain access to God, because we get to be a part of God. We get to have God inside of us. Lord, show us the Father. What a great prayer, right? What a great prayer. If more of our people prayed that way, man, like, wouldn't church be awesome if we knew why we're here, if we knew what was going on and why this was such an important thing that we're doing, following Jesus, keeping the law, giving to the poor, right? Why do these things matter? Lord, show us the Father. That's what it's all about. And if our people were there, if we all had the same purpose, just imagine like how much better church life would be, how much how much more fulfilling and challenging and interesting the whole thing would be. So maybe if you're looking for something to pray about during the Easter season, maybe take St. Philip's words as yours. Lord, show us the Father. Ask yourself, why do I follow Jesus? Why am I a Catholic? Why do I go to Mass? Why do I keep the moral law? Because I want to see the Father. And when I want to see the Father, I don't just want to look at him. I want to become like him. I want to be changed by him. I want my vision to become a reality. So I hope that through the intercession of St. Philip and James, not only have you learned something interesting about Nicaea chapter two or version two, but I also hope that this is a good prayer for you and a good way to sort of focus your spiritual life, particularly during this Easter season and during kind of a crazy time in the church. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. You can find all of our stuff over at CatholicLink.org. My name is Father Rob Adams. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.